The Quiet Carriage, the show about books and their authors, with your host, Paul J. Laverty, and sponsored by Castlemaine's signature bookstore, Stone Man's Book Group. Broadcast on 94.9 Main FM and across the nation on the Community Radio Network. All aboard. Welcome to The Quiet Carriage. I'm Paul J. Laverty, broadcasting from Jaja Wurrung Country on Castlemaine's 94.9 Main FM and across Australia on the Community Radio Network and sponsored by Stoneman's Bookroom. Today on the show, our good friends at Northern Books here in Castlemaine have allowed us to play a recording from one of their recent Books at the Brewery sessions, where author Brian Walters launched his novel, Treason. Uh, and here he is, we'll go straight into it, here he is in conversation with Helen Simon, and introduced by Kristen Gill. And a big thank you to Andrew Skioch for recording this. Uh, this is part one, and part two will follow next week. So without further ado... Here it is. It's time for me to introduce our, our guest this evening. I was, I was very pleased to get an email from Brian asking if he could um, do an event with us at the brewery. And, you know, we love to support local writers and we love to support uh, topics of conversation that we know are important and that we know uh, will appeal to, to all of you who are here this evening. So it made perfect sense to say a big yes to Brian and to make this... Pu- a part of our summer series, in fact, to kick off our summer series and the 2023 year. Um, I know that many of you here know Brian, but just to remind those who don't necessarily know Brian, he is uh, a, a, and has been a prominent QC. He is a bushwalker. He is a passionate advocate for an activist for uh, our environment and, um, and continues to do that kind of work, I, I imagine. Um, he's the co-founder of Wild Magazine, if you remember that. Um, but he is a writer. And tonight we are here to celebrate his book, Treason. But also, that's your job now, Brian, to hold up the book. And also uh, to acknowledge that he is also a poet and that there are three poetry books there that are really, really lovely. Tonight, Brian is in conversation with his friend and colleague, Helen Simon. Welcome, Helen. And thank you both very much for being here this evening. Would you please give Helen and Brian a big warm welcome? Well, thank you for your welcome. I want to start by um, giving Brian an opportunity to tell us a bit about what the book's about. So, Brian, the, um, the title is Treason, Klaus von Stauffenberg and the Plot to Kill Hitler. And the plot was a failed assassination plot that took place in 1944. But who's Karl Stauffenberg and what was his role in the plot? Well, thanks, Helen. Um, so... The 1944 plot, or the July plot as it's usually called, was the last of a series of attempts to assassinate Hitler and replace the Nazi regime from within Germany. And Klaus von Stauffenberg became the acknowledged leader of the German resistance 
1943. In July 1944, he was 36 years old. He was married. He had four children. His wife was pregnant with the fifth child. He was a staff officer. He, he was badly wounded in Africa. He lost his right hand, his dominant hand, two fingers of his left hand and his left eye. Could have set out the war on a pension. He was regarded very highly as a staff officer. Those who know the name Heinz Guderian, who was a German tank general, uh, he recommended Klaus von Stauffenberg had only just become a colonel to be the chief of staff of the German army. And um, in fact, he was at this, at this time the chief of staff of the home army which is all the troops within Germany. And he um, took a briefcase bomb to the Wolfslayer, which was three hours flight from Berlin, placed it there, saw the bomb explode, thought Hitler was dead, saw a body carried out, covered with the cloak, managed to talk his way out of the Wolfslayer, flew back to Berlin, launched an insurrection, which was successful in Paris and Vienna, and briefly Berlin, but when news came that Hitler had survived, it began to unravel. So that was Klaus von Stauffenberg. Well, Brian, there were a lot of other people involved, obviously, in the plot and in the coup attempt. What is it that attracted you particularly to Klaus? Well, it, it was a very broad um, coalition of interests involved in the plot, so there were Christians, atheists, military, civilian, um, aristocracy, social democrats, communists, a very broad group of people. But of course to be involved was utterly committing. It was an incredible um, risk. And he knew that. And what I think attracted me to him was this ultimate um, dilemma that he faced. Here he was, a family man, and yet he felt there could be no real family if he didn't do something about what his country faced. So. Um, there are many examples of him talking about this. One was that when a, a, an officer came to his um, office in the Bendler block in Berlin, he saw a photo of Klaus's children on the, on the desk. And he didn't ask, have to ask the question, he just pointed at the photograph. And Stauffenberg said, I'm doing it for them. How can there be any meaning in family? with what is now going on in Germany, if I don't do something. So for me, that sense of um, seeing the dilemma, you know, the, the easy way out and refusing to take it. And uh, that's why I'm attracted to him. I think he's a fascinating personality. Well, I suppose what you said um, under, rather underscores the irony in the other part of the title, treason. 
Why did you call it treason? Well, I think I called it treason because there are many layers to that word. And who was the real traitor? I think today we would regard Adolf Hitler as the real traitor to Germany. Um, here they were trying to overthrow the head of state of their country in wartime. So that's regarded as a very serious act of treason in legal terms. But on the other hand, it was also an act of incredible patriotism and a statistic might be helpful here. Up until July 1944, the war had been going for almost five years and about two million Germans had died, soldiers and civilians, in that war. In the next nine months, over four million Germans died. It was, um, you know, more than, it was about two-thirds of the, of the um, casualties happened in that last nine months. That's, to, that's just Germans. There are a, a lot of people died from other countries in that nine months as well. And he was acting at a time when he knew that if, if they succeeded in overthrowing the government, their only option was to unconditionally surrender to all the Allies, including the Red Army, which was regarded with great fear by all Germans, I mean, for good reason. And yet that would have saved still millions of lives if it had happened. The statistic is an um, interesting one. With the benefit of hindsight, of course, we, the, the July plot took place after D-Day um, and Rommel had by that time um, visited the um, Normandy front and taken the view that the war was lost and urged Hitler to surrender. Um, with the benefit of hindsight, we might say, why, did, why didn't they just wait things out? And that was a real consideration. Some people thought, what's the point now? And in fact, after the D-Day landing, the um, German resistance sent a message to General Tresco, who was the chief of staff of Army Group Centre on the Russian front and who was a major figure in the German resistance. And Tresco sent a message back. He said, and I'm paraphrasing, um, the resistance must strike the blow against Hitler. The world must see that there are Germans prepared to act against him. If it doesn't succeed, at least we should try the coup. We must try and strike a blow. Compared to this, nothing else matters. And so for many, it was a case of their own internal integrity made it essential that they do something in this situation. Not a situation we face today, but we have our own challenges. And I find it an inspiring example that these people were prepared to do this. Can, can we go back a, a little bit to the, when the resistance first became active? There was the first attempt on Hitler's life was in 1938. That was before 
Klaus von Stauffenberg was involved. Can you tell us where it began? So the um, 1938 plot, which at that time Klaus von Stauffenberg was a captain and he knew about the plot but had, was too junior to have a major role, um, was associated with the Nazi um, intention to invade Czechoslovakia. And the German Chief of Staff, Ludwig Beck, eventually resigned from his post in protest at the idea that Germany would invade Czechoslovakia. The new Chief of Staff, Franz Halder, then took over Beck's plans for a coup. And within that coup, the, the basic idea of that coup was to arrest Hitler and put him on trial. Um, Klaus von, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's father um, was a psychiatrist and he actually prepared a um, psychiatric report that was going to be used in the trial. But within the, within the plot, there was another plot and there was a group of a um, hundred soldiers who were in charge of the arrest and they were going to shoot him dead. Um, that was the plan. And the, they were secreted in houses around the uh, chancellery and they chose, the leaders of the plot chose the order, once Hitler had given the order to invade Czechoslovakia, that's when they would act. Now in order to, in order to um, bring this home, one of the things they did was contact the British government at a high level. They spoke in person to Lord Halifax and Chamberlain certainly knew from a number of people that this coup was in, in prospect and that the message was that the leaders of the army will replace him if he orders the invasion of Czechoslovakia. Chamberlain knew that when he went to Munich. Hitler didn't. It was an enormous advantage in the negotiations. Chamberlain chose to ignore it. And when Hitler left the Chancery to go to Munich, Ich bin von Himmel gefallen, Hitler said. I am fallen from heaven. I am thunderstruck. I am, I am blessed when he heard that Chamberlain was going to come and visit him. Um, he was no longer within reach of the coup. They, he had to be in the chancery for them to kill him and arrest him, whatever they were going to do. And once he'd gone, that was it, and there was no coup. And in fact, there was no invasion militarily of Czechoslovakia because the Sudetenland was handed over at Munich. And Hitler was then untouchable for the next year or so and launched the attack on Poland. You are listening to The Quiet Carriage on 94.9 Main FM and the Community Radio Network and sponsored by Stillman's Book Room. And now we return to author Brian Walters, uh, his books at the brewery session, where he's discussing his novel, Treason. Well, Klaus von Stauffenberg became involved actively in the resistance around 1942. What changed for him? Well, he was um, involved 
militarily he was involved in the campaign in Poland, the campaign in France. He was a he was the quartermaster of a uh, panzer division in France, and then he went to Russia. And as things began to unravel in Russia, at this stage, militarily, the Germans were very strong in Russia. We're talking before Stalingrad. But he felt that the policy of the Germans, which was one of um, initially being welcomed by Russians, and there were church services of thanksgiving when the Germans arrived, but then the Einsatzgruppen, the, the various death squads moved in and the Russian resistance began to harden. And he saw this and um, in a series of meetings in summer of 1942 with senior army officers, we're talking Sodenstern, Munstein, um, and a number of others urged them to take action against Hitler. And eventually he made himself, made himself so unpopular or so risky that he realised that it was too hot for him and he volunteered to serve um, as the first officer of a panzer division in North Africa. And that's what he then did and was involved in the Tunisian campaign, which is where he was badly wounded. Well, let's come back to the 1944 plot. One of the things that your book outlines so wonderfully and, and makes it... It's a, quite a dark read, I've got to say. These are very, they were very dark times, the World War II and, um, and Hitler and what he was doing. And one of the things that I found very much with my heart in my mouth reading your book was there were so many moments when it might have succeeded. Mm. There was so many but-fors that you outlined so beautifully. Can you explain some of those moments where uh, if something had, you know, something had happened a minute later or something, someone had done something a little bit differently, then they might have pulled it off? So, in 1943 and 1944, there were a series of attempts on Hitler's life, which, for one reason or another, just didn't work out. And in the end, Klaus von Stauffenberg, who was, of course, as it were, quite the general, unquote, in charge of the resistance, decided that he had to, as it were, go over the top and be the person who actually killed Hitler, which was a huge risk. He was not doing what he was normally would have done. And so he decided that he would take the bomb to the wolf's lair. And they obtained plastic explosive. Now this was a new weapon. Stauffenberg had no training with plastic explosive and this bomb was actually manufactured for this assassination attempt. And it was a, there were two one-kilogram lumps of plastic explosive. One of the things that had gone wrong with the attempt the year before to put a bomb on Hitler's plane, the bomb hadn't gone off. And the belief was that the fuse had failed. 
the, the fuses were captured British fuses because they, they made silent fuses that worked on the operation of acid on a cord. The belief was if one had failed, others might, so he had to put several fuses into the plastic explosive. First of all, he is a man with three fingers and one eye. He had to look into a little eye hole to do this and operate a pair of pliers that he specially modified to break the file to release the acid. If you push too hard, the bomb goes off. If you don't push hard enough, it doesn't work at all. He had to get that exactly right, and he had to do it several times. As he was doing this, on the first lump of explosive, there's a knock on the door in the room that they're there, and it was a phone call from, in fact, another member of the conspiracy wanting some detail, and the door was pushed open, and he could no longer openly handle the explosive. So he only used one of the one kilogram lumps of explosive. If he'd used the second lump, it would have killed everyone in the room, which was the goal. It would have multiplied the explosive several times. But he didn't have the opportunity to do it. He still thought it would be good enough, but he was wrong. The bomb killed four people, but it didn't kill Hitler. Injured Hitler more than probably was known at the time, but um, he survived. So that was the problem. Then the person who'd made the phone call was General Felgebel, who was the head of communications for the, for the Reich, really, and he'd organised a complete blackout of the wolf slayer so that the conspirators could, for three hours, could run their coup without the wolf slayer knowing. But, and he assumed that would all go ahead, but he rang Berlin. Now, the lines were, of course, all monitored by the Gestapo, so people had to be very careful what they said. And what he said to the officers in Berlin was, something terrible has happened. The Fuhrer is alive. So he knew Hitler was alive, and the bomb had gone off. He couldn't say more than that. And the people in Berlin who were left there without Klaus von Stauffenberg were not the same kind of dynamic people that Stauffenberg was. What to do? Something terrible's happened. The Fuhrer's alive. Has it gone off? Has anything happened at all? Is, 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 he, is it false information? We can't ask and check. The wolf slayer's blacked out anyway. So... They went out to lunch. <laughs> and they had a long lunch. They were there out for two or three hours. And Stauffenberg landed in Berlin after a three-hour flight to find that the measures had not been taken. He instantly ordered that they do be taken, and they were. And, but, but it was like playing catch-up footy. <laughs> you know, they, were, they were way behind then. Hours had counted. They'd lost key opportunities. One lot was... All the Nazi leaders in Berlin had been invited to a conference with the chief of police in Berlin, who was a conspirator, and as soon as the code word was given, they were all to be arrested. 
The code word wasn't given. So they were all dispersed again. Um, the uh, orders were given then for the, for, the, um, sur for the administrative district of Berlin to be surrounded, which was done. Um, but the uh, officer in charge of that was a, a major Rehmer. Rehmer had received the Knight's Cross from Hitler personally uh, a couple of months before and was a committed Nazi. He believed Hitler was dead, so that was, he was doing his job, but several conspirators had said, replace this man, send him away, get someone else in this job. When he went to arrest Goebbels, who was the, the only really senior Nazi in Berlin, Goebbels had a, his own private line to Hitler and got him on the phone and asked Rehmer to speak to him. And Hitler put Rehmer in charge of putting down the coup, which he proceeded to do. There are other things too. So when the orders of the conspiracy went out, a fairly junior officer went to the teleprinter and said to the clerk, send this out. And the first words on the um, message, there's a photo, photograph of the message in the book, was the Führer Adolf Hitler is dead. And the clerk called the officer back and said, do you want this to be sent in code? And he said, yes, not thinking. It wasn't what was intended at all. But encrypting the message took a whole lot longer. So instead of them getting the messages out quickly, uh, it, they uh, had to have a long delay. Nevertheless, all of the Nazis in P Paris were arrested, all the Gestapo and SS, and in, and in Vienna. It had started to happen in Berlin, but too late. And, and the, uh, there's a teleprinter duel, a message duel that went for hours with people saying, don't listen to the wolf's lair or don't listen to the bender block. And finally, it was clear that Hitler had survived and no one, or they, insufficient numbers would, were prepared to risk their lives just to be on what looked like a forlorn um, journey. You are listening to The Quiet Carriage, and there we had part one of author Brian Walters. Uh, he was in conversation launching his book, Treason, at Northern Books, Books at the Brewery event here in Castleman. And Treason is available from Northern Books, uh, sponsors Stoneman's Bookroom, and also at brianwaltersauthor.com. And part two will follow next week. We are sponsored by Stoneman's Bookroom, and uh, you can hear us on 94.9 Main FM, the Community Radio Network, and also all other episodes are available on Spotify and all good podcast platforms. Until next time, keep reading. Mm -hmm.